Good morning. I hope that you all are, are doing well. And I want to first start off this morning by saying happy Father's Day to all of our fathers here this morning. Um, I can't tell you, cannot tell you how grateful I am uh, for each of you. Um, because whether you know it or not, you have modeled to me fatherhood. Um, and I think sometimes maybe you look at me and you go, yeah, I feel you. We were there one time. But I appreciate that. I appreciate the example that you all have been to me and will continue to be. And I know that if I have a question or a need or help, I can go to any one of you and you would be more than happy to, to help and give me advice and help out in any way possible. And so I'm, I'm, I'm truly, truly thankful for that and truly thankful for your faithfulness and for your example, as I'm sure your children are truly grateful for that as well and that much more and how you have loved them and how you have cared for them, how you've guided for them, provided and protected them. Men, I truly love you. Happy Father's Day. Last week, we took a huge passage of uh, Nehemiah chapter 11 into chapter 12, and it was the last of the massive lists of Ezra and Nehemiah, so we can breathe that at least for the next couple weeks, we're not going to be uh, and going through too many of those anymore, there are some short ones, tiny ones in, in chapter 12, but they don't hold a candle to what we've dealt with earlier. But mainly what we saw in, in chapter 11 and 12 was this list of, of those who had volunteered to move back into the city. So the walls have been rebuilt in the city. The, uh, the temple has been rebuilt, but the, the houses aren't there. People aren't living there. And for this city to flourish, people have to live there. For temple worship to be able to be sustained and continued, then it, uh, uh, it needs people to live in that city. So people have moved back to the city. Now, we're going to continue with chapter 12. And as we finish reading it together in just a few seconds, I want you to hear within this passage how Christ is our fulfillment and how he is our joy, okay? He is our fulfillment, and he is our joy. So let's start reading in verse 27, starting in, yeah, verse 27 in Nehemiah chapter 12, and we're going to read through the whole chapter. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places, to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nedophilantites, also from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmatha. For the singers have built themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves. And they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah into, uh, unto the wall. 
and appointed two great choirs and gave thanks. That gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hashiah, half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the sons of Jonathan, sons of Shemaiah, sons of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakor, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Milakiah, Gilead, Mi'ai, Nithon, Judah, and Hanai, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall, above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshana, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Haniel, the tower of hundred to the sheep gate, and they came and halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests Eliakim, Masiah, Minimim, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Masiah, Shemaiah, Elazar, Uzi, Jehonan, Makajah, Elam, and yeah, And the singers sang with Jezreiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms. The contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather, in, gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests, for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service purification as the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors for the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel, in the days of Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they were set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. This is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear, to see his holy, inspired, and inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. It's easy, I have found, particularly as I've gotten older, that it's easy to see a lot of life in a negative light. To see things just not good. 
Uh, and, and right, I mean, there's a lot of things that are certainly negative. The, the polarization in our culture and society today, tribalism, and if you're not part of my group, then you're dead to me, attitude that people have toward one another, or at least that's what we're being conditioned. Negative news, fake news, the turn downing of the, the turn, the turning down of the economy, weather, whatever it is, it's easy to get caught up in seeing everything as a as a negative, as not good. But is everything negative? Is everything bad? Is that really true? Is that what what we want to be told and what we want to be conditioned, released from the media, that everything is terrible, is that really true? Is everything really bad? Is there anything worth celebrating? When was the last time you celebrated? Smiled and rejoiced and enjoyed. Maybe it was your your husband's birthday or your wife's birthday. Maybe it was your, your wedding anniversary. You enjoyed spending time with your, with your spouse, thinking about them and thinking about your relationship, thinking about the trip or the planning or whatever it might have been, the special dinner that you planned at home or whatever it may be. And you celebrated. Rejoiced, was thankful. Thanked into our calendar throughout the year. There's days of celebration. Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day. We celebrate, we remember our fathers. Independence Day is coming up in a couple weeks on a Sunday. And we love getting together as a family and celebrating that day together. As a church, we recognize significant days throughout the year. In fact, this is one of them. This is a very significant day for us because it's the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day, and we celebrate and we Rejoice because this is the Lord's day. It's the day that we recognize and remember the resurrection of Christ, that he is alive and that he is risen. We celebrate and we sing as those who have hope. We greet one another as those who have hope. We love one another as those who have hope. I could spend too much time there. We celebrate the Lord's Supper each month, next Sunday. That's a celebration. Certainly, time of remembering, and we're thinking, and we're dwelling on Christ, but it's to bring about enjoyment of Christ. We celebrate baptisms. We celebrate new membership. We celebrate our membership in our Covenant Sunday. The last Sunday of October, we celebrate what we have done together in Christ in our covenant. So if you didn't catch from our reading, 
our passage here in Nehemiah 12, it is a celebration. That's French for celebration. And what did they celebrate? They celebrated the dedication, the completion of the walls. They're done. They're done. Let's celebrate. Let's dedicate these things. Let's celebrate. Let's enjoy. Let's rejoice. Now, I know some of you might be asking the question, the walls have been built since chapter 6. And time-wise, that's approximately a month and a half ago. Not for us. It's been way over a month and a half ago. But for them, a month and a half. Why didn't they dedicate them back then? Well, the, the answer to that is simple. First, rebuild the people. And the seventh month of the year was the chance for them to rebuild the people. And they did. And they, so that they could truly enjoy the depths of this celebration. They needed eyes to see from God's word. Now, if you really want to be specific, what we see here in the details of, of chapter 12 is, is this detailed explanation of their liturgy. Right? And so instead of just a list of this is what we did, there's an explanation of, of how we did each one of these particular things. It was their order of service of that day of dedicating the walls. But the point of it is, what we see here, is that they celebrated. They sang in order. They marched together, and they had leaders and song leaders and musicians that would lead them. They made sacrifices together for their worship. Verse 43, I think it's the pinnacle of the text, just opens it up. Look at verse 43 to four, again. It says, and they offered great sacrifices that day. They made sacrifices, burnt offerings and such, right? But they also rejoiced. For what? For God had made them rejoice with great joy. God is a God of joy. And he made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. This isn't, wasn't just for the men. This is for all people to enjoy. To enjoy God. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Yeah, we want the nations to know who we delight in. All those people outside the wall, we want them to know who has given us great joy. God has made them rejoice with great joy. I love this verse because God is the one who had done a great work in them to see and understand his word, and they rejoice, and they celebrate that with joy, with great joy. This wasn't a begrudging church service. This was joyous. This was a happy occasion. You know, anything that's worth celebrating, anything that's worth celebrating is lasting. And anything that is lasting is something that has truly come from the hand of God. What is worth truly celebrating is what God has given us and what God has done for us. 
what do we, namely as Christians, celebrate when we gather? I don't think I've pretty much answered that question already, right? What do, we, what do we celebrate when we gather together? Why would we use that word, celebrate? What does this church celebrate and rejoice in when we gather? What are we thankful for? Why do you give so much? Why do you love each other? Why do you keep coming back each Sunday, why do you all join in chorus and singing together each and every week? I mean, you, you realize, like, now how much of a weirdo you are. Amen. Patrick really knows. <laughs> like, this used to be the cool thing to do. Now it's not. Why do you join in chorus together? And, and, and again, if I can just simplify the answer, it's because of Jesus Christ. Because we love him. We love his gospel. We love his, we love his word. And, and, and just like them, we, we recognize as sovereign grace that he has made us rejoice with great joy. Soli Deo Gloria, right? We celebrate him. In verses 27 through 30, we see how the wall was, the wall was being dedicated and how all the priests and the Levites and these singers were were called up to come to Jerusalem, to come celebrate, to come help lead these people in this dedication. And the note said, P.S., bring your instruments. Whatever you got, bring them. We need them. And, and these guys, these priests and these Levites, they also would have a very important task before any of this celebration could take place. In verse 30, it says, The priests and the Levites purified themselves. And they purified the people and the gates and the walls. Later, we read in verse 43, it says they offered sacrifices. In verses 44 through 47, there's the, the setting up of the provisions for the, for the sacrifices. And these things are all important because there could be no worship. There could be no celebration. There could be no approaching God in worship without the purification of sin, from sin. Now, we don't know exactly what they did to purify themselves, but the, the Old Testament speaks much of the purification rituals, and so these are probably the, the things that they did. Exodus 19, God tells Moses to tell the people that before they come receive my commandments and my law, you need to tell them to go wash their clothes, their garments. They are dirty. They need to wash themselves before they receive my law. In Leviticus 16, those who are making atonement for sin, clearly these unclean people, they needed to also make purification. 
That not only would they need to wash their clothes, but they would need to immerse themselves into water and clean themselves thoroughly and put on clean, undefiled clothes before making the offering. Go take a good bath. In Numbers 8, they're also told to clean their clothes, but to sprinkle themselves with the water of purification and also to shave themselves. If you want more on the laws of purification and the details of them, you can look to Numbers 19. And there's a whole chapter, a whole list of the requi- what was required and what was necessary. So why did everyone, not just the priests, but all the people need cleansing? Why did they need purification? Again, another simple answer is because they were unclean because of their sin. They're sinful people, and they need to be clean before they approach the holy God. And the law, in every in the law, in every detail of the law, particularly Numbers in uh, nineteen and all the others, all of those, the bathing and this purification, the washing, the clothes, all illustrates the infiltration of sin into every nook and cranny of our being. And the New Testament agrees to the totality of sin's infiltration into the hearts of men. There is none righteous, no, not one. Which is a quote from the Old Testament. The great obstacle to worship and celebrating God and approaching God is your sin. Is sin. Habakkuk 1.13, you who are purer, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil cannot look at wrong. This is why we need purification. You see, this ritual of purification is pointing to the fact that man is spiritually unfit in of themselves to come before God and to worship God Almighty. Psalm 24 asks the question, starting in verse 3, he says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. What man could raise their hands? What man could raise their hand and raise their voice and say, yep, I have clean hands and I have a pure heart before the Lord? They needed purification for themselves and for the people because they were just like us, stained and defiled by sin. Before every sacrifice, they would need to purify themselves again, over and over again. This ritual went on for centuries. The purification was constant. The sacrifices that they had to make were constant because they never were enough. 
Hebrews 10.4, for it is impossible for blood, the blood of bulls and goats, to take away sins. Their sacrifices only pointed to a greater sacrifice, a perfect and spotless, undefiled sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, the only way that we may come into God's presence is not through a ritual cleansing. The washing of our clothes or taking a bath. But as we know, and what the gospel has told us, is that we come into God's presence through our union with Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 11. I said read it last week. We couldn't stay away from it this week. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into all the holy, into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of bull of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of, def- of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the, for the purification of the flesh, how much more? One of the greatest questions ever to be asked. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to serving the living God. Christ's sacrifice is the only sacrifice that can purify us. He is the only one who could atone for our sin before a holy God. And only through him, as Hebrews tells us, that he has secured an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9 continues in verse 24, saying, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest inserts the holy places every year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We read from Psalm 24, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Not us, but Christ. He has ascended that hill. 
He is the one who stands in that holy place, and he has done that on our behalf. Therefore, brothers and sisters, this is point number one. We celebrate Christ because he is our righteousness. We celebrate Christ because he is our righteousness. Paul's, Anthony, amen. There you go. We're working on it. That's, that's an amen point. He is our righteousness. For our sake, he made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, put that one in the memory bank. Imputed upon him was our sin, our defilement, our judgment, our corruption. And by faith, imputed upon us is his righteousness. We become the righteousness of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has conquered sin and death so that those who are in Christ no longer are in bondage, but now can draw near to God. Brothers and sisters, how have you come this morning to worship the Lord? How do you have any confidence at all to come before the Lord, the maker, creator, sustainer, holy, majestic God? How do you have any confidence to stand before him and sing? Are you worthy to ascend that hill? Have you ever met someone before that just in their presence just kind of humbled you? And you just felt, oh, man, I don't, I don't deserve to be in this person's presence. One day when I was younger, I was helping my dad work, and we went to this old man's house to fix his sprinkler. And we fixed the sprinkler, and as usual, my dad likes to talk to the customers, and we went inside this old gentleman's house, and we were talking, and we noticed some interesting things on the wall, and we get to talk to him about it. And as we talked to this guy in conversation, come to find out, and even by looking at the pictures and the things on his wall could prove it, that this man was a World War II Navy veteran who survived Pearl Harbor. And he received the Navy Cross. Hey, buddy, you were out by yourself. Yeah. The goose is loose. And this man survived Pearl Harbor and also received the Navy Cross for his actions that day. He saved other men's life, fighting as hard as he could that early Sunday morning on December 7th. And he continued to serve in the Navy throughout several engagements in the South Pacific. As a kid who actually, actually cared about those things, and I saw those things on his wall, I was just shocked and stunned. Like, I can't believe I'm meeting someone who survived Pearl Harbor and has such, such a hero. 
And I was in awe of that old, frail man. <laughs> I really was. And all of a sudden, he wasn't an old, frail man. He was a titan. He was a hero. I felt so small. It was just like this punk kid who puts his hand in dirt and fixes a sprinkler for him. And why did I feel that way? Because I was in the presence of someone special, someone great, someone who truly who made a difference. I don't think he asked to make a difference, but he made a difference. Even more so, even more so, we come before the Lord unworthy, humbled by his greatness and humbled by his majesty and his holiness. But brothers and sisters, we don't come in fear. We come in confidence because of the righteousness of Christ that he has imputed upon us and he has made us worthy. He has cleansed us. He has purified us. When you read the passages about these priests purifying themselves, that's Christ purifying us through his blood so that we can come into his presence. More Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full not a half tank, not a quarter tank, but full assurance of faith. With your what? Listen, if, you don't, if you're not listening, look up and then listen, but listen. With hearts sprinkled clean, purified from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Who do you think the, the Hebrews are referring to, the Hebrew writers referring back to? These priests who continually had to do this. And now Christ has done this for us. So verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up into love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all that is more as you see the day drawing near. Christ has made us clean. Christ has cleaned every nook and cranny of our hearts and we have been cleansed we have been made new our consciences and all so hold fast to your confession hold fast to that confession have confidence then when that when you come Every each Lord's Day, when you open your word and you begin with prayer, have confidence that Christ's sacrifice was more than sufficient for your wickedness and for your sin to make you now righteous in Christ. Hold fast to that confession. Have confidence. Have confidence to come before the Lord to worship through faith in Christ. And I love the, the straight application that they make here in Hebrews, that's made here in Hebrews. Christian confidence. The application. Trust in the Lord and his sovereignty. 
have assurance, and then encourage and edify one another in the church. You see it? Because you have confidence to draw near with Christ, you're drawing near with the body of Christ. And so your very presence of being with one another is building one another up. It's built in. The prioritizing of that. But it also puts our hope and our confidence and our future hope on his return. Not just this life now. Do you see this as something worth celebrating? Do you see what Christ has achieved for us something worth enjoying and rejoicing that he is our salvation that he has made us pure and clean in his righteousness that he has saved us from sin and death so that even this very morning none of us walk in in fear we don't come in anxious and worried that if you completed your steps of purification correctly, are my clothes clean enough? Was my bath and shower long enough? Did I use the right kind of soap? No. We just came. Because we draw near in confidence in the work of Christ. And that is something worth celebrating. We celebrate Christ because he is our righteousness. The first part of the passage I think was important. That's why we spent so much time on it. Purification and preparation for the worship service. But the rest of it is the, is the worship service, the worship time. In verses 28 through 29 tells us of all the singers that were gathered together from all around with those uh, all around with the Levites and the, and the priests and those who had their, their instruments. And, and they assembled together in Nehemiah splits the group in half and makes two really big choirs. Verses 31 through 37 describes the first choir. And this first choir was going to get half of the leaders of, of Judah and they were going to gather uh, to the south by the dung gate, and Ezra was going to be with them. But this is really interesting because what he tells them to do is he tells them to get on the wall. He doesn't say get behind the wall or in front of the wall. He says get on the wall. And the second choir, the same thing. There's another half of people and leaders, and they go to the, to the north, and Nehemiah is their leader and goes with them. And so both choirs have, have, have priests and Levites and singers and, and musicians. And the, the main worship leader was Jezreiah. He's the main worship leader. And each of them are ones to the south and ones to the north. And they're, sitting on, they're standing on top of the wall. And the first choir, marching from the south, they, they come to the northern parts of the city. And then coming from the north, they go to the southern part of the city. And 
And, and this is interesting because they're standing on the walls. They're going around this city that once was a disaster, that once was destroyed. And why was it destroyed? Why was it such a disaster? It's because of the consequences of their sin. Their sin had led to the exile and the destruction of their city. But God, who is faithful, loving, steadfast, fulfilling his promises to restore his people, brings them back into that mess, and by his hand, the temple is rebuilt. The walls are rebuilt. The people are rebuilt and renewed. You might remember all the ridicule and things that they faced throughout the Ezra and in Nehemiah. One of the ridicules that came from, from Tobiah was, I bet a fox won't be able to stand up on them walls, and they'll just come crumbling down. Guess what? There's more than a fox standing on the wall. Might have been a slight, hey, we're standing here. Here we are. But they are standing there and they're singing. And they surround this city. From the south to the north, they surround the city. God's people singing, praising him, playing the instruments, letting them rip, playing. Singing. I think this event probably envisioned from Psalm 48, 12 through 14. It says, walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider, her, consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. All the people are singing, they're rejoicing, they're giving thanks, and they were celebrating the Lord, as we see in verse 43. But what do you think they were singing? What do you, what do you think that they were, were, were singing? And we don't know exactly the songs that they, were, they were, were singing, but there are some clues from our passages. So in some of the uh, passages toward the end of the, of the book, talks about, or to the end of the chapter, talks about, about David. Verse 46 talks about the 36, excuse me, talks about the musical instruments of, of, of David that they had and, and that they were to play as, this, as David had done. And I think that these verses and these, this language are cues into what they were singing and what they were doing. They were singing the Psalms. They were singing the Psalms, Psalms of, of thanksgiving to the Lord, like, like Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and we are the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Can you imagine that day, that psalm being sung? I can. What a beautiful psalm to be sung and rejoicing in great joy. Maybe it was a psalm of, of ascent from Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be with your 
walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and my companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Seventy-four times in the Psalms are the people of God exhorted to sing to the Lord, to sing praises, to sing songs, to sing for joy, to sing aloud, to sing of your word and sing to his holy name over and over and over again. In this celebration, there is without a doubt that it was about singing. And they surrounded the whole city, the holy city of God, and they sang psalms like this. Now, if I could just pick one more of those psalms, uh, say Psalm 105. And it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and, his, and the judgments he utters. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Now, when you hear that song, what comes to your mind? What, what comes into your heart? Is it, a, is it a heart of thanksgiving and rejoicing because God had built walls? Because God had built and given us a building and chairs and air conditioning? Or is it because when we hear that psalm, or we hear Psalm 105, or maybe Psalm 100, and our hearts and our minds go to Christ. Our hearts and minds go to Christ and all that he has done. We call upon his name. We make known his deeds. We sing to him. We praise him for his glorious work. We celebrate Christ as our righteousness, as we've already talked about, as our provider of grace and salvation, and therefore we sing and we celebrate because Christ is our song. Christ is our song. That's point two. Christ is our song. In all the ways that they were singing and rejoicing in God, refuge, their provider, the wall of protection that they could stand on. Is that not Christ? Is it all pointing toward him? Christ is our song. At the center of all of our singing, which is our celebrating, Christ is in the center. He's not a piece of it. He's not just part of a verse. 
but he is the center. His grace, his mercy, his love, his work, his redemption, his salvation, his resurrection. We sing because of Christ. Music is art. It's a universal art. It's an expression of emotion and creativity and should be truth. We think deeply so that we can feel deeply. Say it another way. Our theology drives our doxology. And if that's true, then as a congregation, regardless of your skill level, because of the work of redemption and forgiveness and transformation and adoption in you and what Christ has done, then we sing together in thanksgiving and in joy, making a joyful noise to the Lord. The motive of our joyful singing is that we are truly thankful. That we are truly thankful to the Lord. They sang songs of thankfulness. We rejoice with songs of thankfulness. Thankful for what? We're thankful for the work of God through Christ in redeeming us and restoring us and cleansing us, making us new, giving us this righteousness. So again, so that we can approach him and we can worship him with confidence, no longer in fear that he has adopted us and he has brought us into his family, that he has made us sons and not slaves, as we have prayed earlier this morning, that we await in a glorious inheritance that he has won on our behalf for us. Are you thankful? Does your singing show reflect that thankfulness? I'm not saying the quality of your singing according to rhythm, sound, pitch, or key, but with voice that reflects a transformed heart of great delight. One more text, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Your heart. This he didn't just say, so your, your voice has to be making melody. We sing with our voices from our hearts. Giving thanks heart of gratitude, brothers and sisters, a heart of gratitude conceives thankfulness and joy in celebrating him, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We sing because Christ is our song and nothing else. I mean, what else do you have to sing about? We have some good things to sing about. I'll sing about my wife. I'll sing about 
old McDonald had a farm. I'll sing other songs. But what is at the center? Christ is our song. And in that, as you see the corporate nature again in Ephesians 5, that we're not just singing as individuals, but we're singing corporately together as one. Singing for your brother and sister across the room is an act of, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All that we do is surrounded by our worship of Christ because he is our song. He is the song that the heavenly hosts sing over and over for all eternity. Christ is our song, and he will be our sweet song for all of eternity. A song in songs that we will sing, and we will never be tired of singing. Brothers and sisters, as we finish this morning, it is not as if we shouldn't dedicate buildings and such. I think that could be good and appropriate at times. However, what they were longing for is what we experience. We celebrate that Christ is our righteousness. We celebrate together that Christ is our song. I love singing with you all. It gives me great hope now, being part of a body of Christ. It gives me great hope of what's to come. And like them in Nehemiah 12, we rejoice together and sing with great joy because God has made us rejoice with great joy. Amen. The women and the children also let them rejoice. All of us rejoice. Let us rejoice so much that our joy will be heard far away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning and how it draws our hearts, our minds, and our souls to rejoice in Christ as we just think about the gospel and think about our Savior. Lord, help us to Remember on our hearts and our minds constantly the work of Christ and the gospel and in as many of the implications as we can. Our adoption, the imputed righteousness that we have, that we come before you in such a way that we don't even think about it anymore. Hallelujah. What a Savior. You are our song. You are what we sing. You are what we proclaim. You are what we rejoice. And it is because you have made us rejoice with great rejoicing. Help us to renew our hearts and our minds this morning in these truths, especially as we respond together and as we end our gatherings this morning in singing.
We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.